0: Good morning. This is a picture of my family. Um, We are getting ready to take a hayride. How many of you in the last couple of weeks have taken a hayride? Raise your hand. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? I don't know why we do this. I don't understand it. I don't do it because I enjoy sitting on a bale of hay being pulled by a tractor. I don't know about you. I do it. I go on hayrides because I love my children. My uh, three kids are there. We have Sayla, our oldest, is five years old. On the left, on the right, is our middle little girl Zoe and uh, she's three. And then our youngest Gideon is in the middle there. I'm not sure who that lady is. Uh, I'm just kidding. It's my wife. Uh, I love her and cherish her and I love my family and I want a close relationship with my kids and I want a close relationship with my wife. That's why we do things like go on hay rides. We want close relationships. Isn't that what you want out of life? Don't you want a close relationship with the people that you love the most? And I don't know about you, but I want a close relationship with God as well. But developing close relationships, wanting them, and developing them are two separate things. I don't know about you, but developing close relationships is really difficult for me. And it's difficult oftentimes with those we love the most. And so today I'm going to share with you a simple five-sentence conversation that will help you grow closer to God and closer to people. This five sentence conversation is in your notes when you got uh, handed. You probably got handed, picked up one of these on your way in this morning. It's a five sentence prayer that you can pray to God. That's kind of the left side of the column there, and it's a five sentence conversation you can have with anybody in your life that you want a close relationship. That's the right side. And so we're going to work through that. But before we go any further, and before we dive into that, I would love to pray. Would you pray with me, real quick? Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for today, and uh, I am thankful that uh, you sent your son, Jesus Christ. And it was because of him and through him that we now have an open door, an open opportunity to have a close relationship with you and ultimately with others. God, would you speak to us in the next uh, half hour or so, the remaining of our time this morning, Lord? Would you open our ears and our hearts, help us to hear what you want us to hear? I trust that all of us are here for a reason this morning and that you've you got something to say to us, Lord. So would you speak to us and encourage our hearts, Lord? Challenge us where we need challenging, correct us where we need correcting, Lord. Just have your way here this morning. I uh, pray, Jesus, uh, this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, my name is Kevin Russell. I am the groups and disciple-making pastor here at Genesis. And this is week six of our seven-week series called Profile. And in Matthew 28, Jesus gave what is often referred to as the Great Commission. It's the mission to go and make disciples. And at Genesis Church, we want to fulfill that mission. We want to become a disciple-making church. We want to be disciples and make disciples. But what kind of disciple, the question we've been asking throughout the series is, what kind of disciple did Jesus have in mind? When he said to go make them. But well, there's any number of passages you could uh, and ways to answer that question. But we're we at Genesis. We're looking to John chapter 15 and specifically verse eight. And this is a statement Jesus made towards the end of his ministry. The last night he's with his disciples before he is arrested. Here's what he says. He says, this is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And we think that in this one sentence that Jesus basically summarizes his goal, his passion, his vision for the disciples. He uses three phrases there. Do you see the three phrases? Phrase number one, this is to my father's glory. Number two, that you bear much fruit. And the third phrase, he says, showing yourselves to be my disciples. We think that in this statement, Jesus gives us three essential qualities of a mature disciple. We're calling it, if you've been here with us the last several weeks, we're calling it our profile, the profile of a mature disciple. Let's take a look at it. We've given kind of a a profile as an outline or a brief description and and so, number one, we want to be disciples who follow Jesus. We want to be disciples who follow the real Jesus, who's alive today. And we want to listen to his voice and learn how to walk in obedience to him. Secondly, we want to be disciples that seek to glorify God. We want to be motivated to bring God glory with our lives. And third, we want to be disciples who bear much fruit or who grow. We have talked about the image of bearing fruit in the Bible is the image of growth. And we have identified four fundamental areas In the New Testament, where we think God wants to see us grow. Number one, our identity. He wants to see us live like children of God. Number two, in intimacy. It's what we're talking about today. He wants to see us cultivate a close, loving relationship, not only with him, but with others as well. He wants to see us grow in integrity. That's developing the character of Jesus. That's becoming more like like him. And lastly, influence. We we believe God wants us to grow in influence. uh, He wants us to, to use us to make disciples who make disciples. I grew up playing basketball, and like all kids, I learned at a young age there were a few fundamentals you had to master in order to be successful basketball. They were dribbling and shooting and playing defense and rebounding and passing. But passing was really last for me because I really like to shoot. And so those are the five basic fundamentals that you had to develop in order to be successful in basketball. And even the best players in the world today, Paul George, LeBron James, they're still practicing and mastering, learning how to master the fundamentals of the sport. Well, we see this profile, if you will, as the fundamentals of what it means to be a Christ follower. These are, the, these are the basics that we have to get right if we're going to live lives, the kind of lives that God wants us to live and live lives uh, and experience the kind of life he wants us to experience. And so uh, last week, Ben Krauss, our campus pastor, if you were here, uh, spoke on integrity. Uh, if you weren't here, I encourage you to listen to that message on, podca- on podcast online. Next week, Steve Wallen is going to teach on influence. And today we're looking at intimacy. Looking at intimacy. So counselors say that one of the leading causes of depression, of which I know many of you have struggled with throughout your life, maybe struggling with right now, I've struggled with at times throughout my life. One of the leading causes of depression is a lack of close, intimate relationships. It's also one of the leading causes for addiction. That when we don't get our need for close relationships met, we will substitute things for people. But nothing meets our need for close relationships like close relationships. In the Bible, in the first few chapters of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, we see God's original intent for our lives. God creates Adam, and after he creates Adam, in Genesis chapter 2, verse eight, 18, God says this. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, my, my wife often reminds me of this passage, usually when she's giving me advice. And she'll say things like, honey, I'm your helper. I'm your helpmate. God said it right there in Genesis chapter 2. Now just go do what I say. I'm like, babe, I don't think that that's what the text means. I think you're not not interpreting that right. But God saw, the point is that God saw that it wasn't good for man to be alone. This this text is often used as a marriage text. Well, that's one of the applications, but the point isn't God wants us to be married. The point is that we are not meant to live isolated lives where we uh, don't allow anyone to get close to us. But why is it difficult? Why is it difficult to develop close relationships? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, God came looking for Adam in the garden, and he said, Adam, where are you? Now, God wasn't asking Adam about his physical location. God already knew what had happened. He knew where he was. He was God. It was a relational question. God was asking Adam, why have you relationally withdrawn from me? Remember, Adam withdraws. Adam and Eve withdraw, and they hide. And see, that's one of the consequences of the fall, Because of sin, because of our sin and the sins of others, we instinctively withdraw from relational closeness and we hide from others. And so developing close relationships, even with those we love the most, is a struggle. It's difficult. And it's primarily because of our sin and the sins of others. We are selfish. We are prideful. We are insecure. We judge. We condemn. We gossip. We criticize. We're defensive. We complain. We have bad attitudes. We say hurtful words. We do hurtful things. Who wants to be close to people like that? Not me. But the problem is we're all like that. We're all messed up. Welcome to church. Good morning. You're messed up. John 3.16 says this, that God so loved the world. He so loved you and me that in spite of our sin, in spite of our brokenness, that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, and that whoever believes in Jesus and follows Jesus shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, I think, unfortunately, John 3.16 is often presented in a way that kind of communicates this. If you believe in Jesus, you get your ticket to heaven. And you get your ticket to heaven, and, and, and you want that ticket so you can go to the place called heaven. I think this is a real misunderstanding of what eternal life is. Eternal, eternal life, or everlasting life, as some translations say, is not necessarily a, 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 as much a place that we go to, or a location, or a destination. Eternal life is a relationship we enter into. Listen to how Jesus, Jesus defines eternal life in John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus says, now this is eternal life. He's going to define what eternal life is. They they may know that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Jesus says eternal life is that we know the only true God and Jesus Christ. Jesus says eternal life is knowing God. So eternal life is a relationship we enter into, not as much a place we go. If you've been around Genesis for a while, you've heard us uh, emphasize the importance of the word for know here in this passage in John 17, 3. The word for know there is the Greek word gnosko. And why is that important? It's important because of the definition. It's a knowledge that's grounded in personal experience or it means to be intimately acquainted with. I can know a lot about the president of the United States. It doesn't mean I have a close relationship with him. You see the difference? It's critically important to know that. We stress the importance of that word gnosko because if we don't, as Christians, understand this word and understand the point of eternal life, we might miss the whole point of Christianity, period. See, listen to me quote John 3.16 in light of a better understanding of eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one only son, Jesus Christ, so that we can have a close, intimate relationship with God. Kind of changes things, doesn't it? See, Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we could go to a location. No. He died on the cross so we could enter into an eternal, everlasting, close relationship with God. We were saved for intimacy. Intimacy with him and ultimately intimacy with others. Now, I could spend the rest of the time this morning trying to motivate you or trying to persuade you to pursue intimacy. I could give you all the reasons why you should. But I really want to talk about practically how to. How do we practically speaking develop intimacy with God and people? Because it is difficult. And with each of the four eyes in this series, we are suggesting a skill for you to develop. Last week, if you were here, Ben Kraus talked about integrity. In order to develop the character of Christ and grow in integrity, you have to develop the skill of repentance. You have to learn to take off the old and put on the new, as Paul says in the New Testament. If you don't learn that skill throughout your life, if you don't learn to master that fundamental of taking off the old, repenting of sin, and putting on the new, you'll never grow in integrity and character of Christ. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about making disciples. Today, I want to talk about intimacy. About a year and a half ago, I picked up a book called Emanuel Journaling, and it presented a skill, if you will. It presented a five-sentence, kind of very simple conversation that you could have with God and you could have with people. And so I've been putting this to practice in my own life, trying it on my wife and my kids. And I think my wife would testify that it's helping me slowly but surely become a better husband and a better father. And I think it's helping me grow closer to God. I hope you'll find it helpful as well. So I'm going to share with you this five-sentence conversation. We're going to look at it first from the perspective of us communicating to God. That's the left side of the column. And then we're going to look at it from the perspective of us communicating to others. See, because I'm of the opinion that the same way we develop intimacy with God is the same way we develop intimacy with people. Okay, so let's get started. The first sentence on the left side of the column, from us to God, is, You see me. This is the first sentence that you can pray in this five-sentence conversation. You see me. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray... Or to develop intimacy with them. He said to them in Matthew 6.6. 6, but when you pray go into your room and close the door. And pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees. What is done in secret will reward you. Jesus said your father who sees. You see me. Your heavenly father. Sees you and me. Do you grasp the significance of that? That the God of the universe, the creator of all things in heaven and earth, sees you and sees me? In fact, it's one of his names. In Genesis chapter 16, Hagar gives God the name Elroy which means the God who sees me. In Psalm 32, 8, God himself says this, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. God sees us. Psalm thirty three eighteen. but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. God sees you. God sees me. And it's not just that he's staring at us like he's some kind of creepy creepster, right? I mean, it's not, it's not a creepy stare, okay? I don't want you to get that image in your head. That would freak you out, right? No, he's a heavenly father. He's a loving father. And he not only sees you, but he's paying close attention to you. A good father pays close attention to his children. So here's what I want you to do. Practically speaking, I want you to work this simple, but I think powerful sentence into your prayer life, into your conversation with God. Father, you see me. Say it, use it often. Father, you see me. If you find yourself, specifically, if you find yourself in a situation or in a circumstance where you want to experience closeness with God, declare, Father, I trust that you see me. Let me give you a few examples. Father, you see me getting stressed out right now. Father, you see the knots in my stomach. Father, you see me getting angry. You see my clenched jaws. Father, you see my heart rate going up. You see me getting anxious. You see my palms sweating as I get ready to go out and preach a message. Father, you see the tears right now in my eyes. Father, you you see me being tempted right now. Father, you see me trying to be a better spouse and trying to be a better parent. Father, you see me trying to build a relationship with my neighbor or my coworker so I can share Christ with them. Father, you see me opening my Bible, trying to connect with you in prayer. Father, you see me throughout your day, throughout the very circumstances of your life and of your day, pray. Father, you see me. If you'll begin working that into your conversation, if you allow that truth to begin to take root in your heart, that your heavenly father sees you and you bring it into the conversation with him, I think you'll experience greater closeness to God. Now, if you want to draw close to others, then you got to do the same thing. So go over to the right side of the column on your notes. Tell those closest to you, I see you. I see you. When you're trying to talk to someone and you can tell they're not really paying attention to you, how does that feel? Isn't that frustrating? That's this is kind of a pet peeve of mine. Whenever I'm really trying to share something, say, for instance, with my wife, but she's cooking in the kitchen or she's doing something with the kids and she's not looking at me, I'll pause and I'll do this kind of passive-aggressive approach. I'll just pause and say, I'll just wait till you're, look, uh, wait till you're done, wait till you're finished. Wait till you look at me. Do, anybody else? Wives are like hitting their husbands like, yes. We all do that, right? Why is that? Why do we do that? Uh, one, because we're immature, but two, because we want people to look at us. We want people to see us. We want to know that people are paying attention to us. Jesus was a master of seeing people. Author Paul Miller in his book, Love Walked Among Us, he has a whole section on learning how to see people the way Jesus did. Miller says this. I love this quote. He says, love, loving people begins with looking. Love begins with looking. Looking. He says, loving people the way Jesus loved people starts with seeing people, really seeing people the way Jesus did, giving people your full attention. The problem is that we are distracted. We are a distracted culture. We're distracted people. I'm a distracted husband and and father. And it's so easy to get distracted throughout our day with our agenda, with our daily tasks, with what we've got to do, with our next appointment. We get distracted. And so it's oftentimes that distraction that makes it difficult to see, really see, see, and pay attention to the people who are standing right in front of us. Last week I was watching the kids, two, two oldest kids. Our two daughters were upstairs taking a nap. I'm downstairs on the couch, and my little boy, my son Gideon, was on the floor next to me on the couch on the family room floor, uh, and he was playing by himself. And I'm laying on the couch. And here's what here's what it looks like me laying on the couch. I won't actually lay down, but here we go. It's like this. I was doing this number. anybody Is this familiar to anybody? Anybody? Yes. After a few nights, I'm doing this. What am I on? I'm on Twitter. That's my thing. So. I, and, you know, God, God has this way of like, if you're going to, you know, he, it's, it's the joy of being a preacher is if you ever teach on something, oftentimes he convicts you of your sin in that area before you share it with everybody else. And so in that moment, I get convicted of my sin and I just hear this little voice say, Kevin, put your phone down and pay attention to your son. What are you doing? Give your son your attention. And so I picked Gideon up, put my phone down, I picked Gideon up. I looked him in his eyes and smiled at him. And you know what he did? He got the biggest smile on his face. Why? Because he loves, he loves when his dad looks at him and sees him and pays attention to him. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I want you all to bring your phones up. We're going to smash them all right here on the stage. Okay? (laughs) Who's up for it? Let's start a movement right now. Let's just do it, people. Let's just end it. Some of you are like, yes, you're getting it out. I'm just kidding. It was just a joke. But we can grab some hammers afterward and get it done if you need to. Pay attention to the people around you. You You want to develop closeness with those you love? Use the phrase, I see you. I've found that if I actually use that phrase, if I actually say the phrase, I see you, it actually forces my heart and my mind to give them my attention. So i often say things like, okay, I I see you. Here's a few examples. I see you are upset right now. I see you. I see you are disappointed right now. I see you are afraid. I see you are excited. I see you. The closest, the people who are closest to you, they want to be seen by you. And they want to be heard as well. Don't we all want to be heard? We want to be listened to. And so that leads us to the second sentence, you hear me. We'll go back over to the second column, uh, the left left side. We're praying to the Lord. I want you to start saying to the Lord, Lord, you see me? Second thing is, Lord, you hear me. This is another very simple phrase, right? But I love it because I think it's powerful. If you use this sentence, if you use this prayer, I think it's going to help you draw closer to God. Because God is listening to you. God hears you. He hears me. And we have to believe that. If we begin to say that to the Lord, we are declaring in faith that God hears us. Psalm 5.3 says this. In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Psalm 66.19 says this. But God has surely listened and he has heard my prayer. God sees you. He's given you his attention, but he also hears you. He's listening to you. And I don't know about you, but that's a little difficult for me to wrap my mind around. I mean... God can hear the thoughts and prayers of 7 billion people around the world if they were all praying to him. That sounds like a nightmare to me. But God is God. That's why he's the creator and I'm the creation. And the Bible reassures us over and over again that God hears us. And so I want to I encourage you. Work that simple phrase into conversation and into your prayers with him. Simply say, Lord, I, you hear me. Father, you hear me. He, he, he's really listening to you. Let me, let me give you some examples here. You hear me thinking I'm overwhelmed with life right now. You find yourself starting to judge and condemn yourself. Just turn that into prayer. Father, you hear me judging and condemning myself. You hear me saying, oh, I'm so dumb. I did it again. Father, you hear me thinking, I, I don't know what to do. Father, you hear me questioning, am I doing a good job as a parent? Father, you hear me debating. Which decision is the right decision? I, I don't know. But Father, I know that you you hear me debating that. You hear me asking for help or healing. Father, you hear me asking for guidance and strength. Father, you hear me me giving you thanks and giving you credit. Simply pray, Father, I trust and believe that you hear me. When we declare our faith that God hears our prayers and our thoughts, it draws us closer to him. Now, if you want to have a closer relationship with people in your life, tell them you're listening to them. Say the words, I hear you. That's the right side of the column, the next line in your notes. One author said this. To really hear someone is to invite them to be known. We want to know and be known by others. And a very simple, practical way to do that is to say, look at them in the eye and say, hey, I, I hear you. James 119 says this. My brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to be heard. Wait, wait. Oh, sorry. That's not what that said. That's what I wanted to say. But it's not what it says. It says everyone should be quick to what? Listen. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Proverbs 18, 13 says, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Just a couple of examples that emphasize how the Bible says that we are to be good listeners, that we are to hear, and we should say to our loved ones, hey, I hear you. Start practices Practicing this in your conversations. Uh, Some of you know that this is called active listening. When someone says something to you, maybe it's a friend or a spouse or maybe it's even your children, reassure them that you're really listening to them. If you'll practice this, you'll draw closer to people. I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I I hear your heart on this. I'm I'm listening. I I hear what's on your mind. I I hear what you want. I, I, I hear why this is a concern for you. I hear your concerns. I hear you. I'm listening to you. Use that phrase a lot. Uh, One phrase I like to use is this. What I hear you saying is, and then fill in the blank, right? Say, what I hear you saying is, and then restate what you heard them say, and then give them an opportunity to say either, yes, that's what I am saying, or no, that's not quite what I was saying. But just say, what what I hear you saying, and then fill in the blank. When we communicate that, we're communicating that we're sincerely listening. And when when we sincerely listen, it builds trust and creates a safe environment for our loved ones to open up and share with us. And this draws us closer. And we experience greater intimacy in our relationships. Now, why do we want to be heard? Because we want to be understood. We want to be understood. Don't, we, don't you just want someone to understand you? Being understood is one of the most basic human needs. We, we don't really need to know that we're always right as much as we need to know that someone understands how we feel and what our reality is. When we feel a certain way, we need to know that others validate our experience, meaning that they understand what it's like to walk in our shoes or to be in our place. This is called Empathy. In order to have a close relationship with God, here's a big kicker, I think. A big obstacle for us having a close relationship with God is we need to know that God understands us. I think we have a hard time with that. Then that's the next phrase in your notes. You can pray this to your Heavenly Father. Very simply, you understand. Father, you understand. Look what Psalm 103 says. Psalm 103 says this. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. God relates to us like a father relates to a child. God has Compassion. He understands. He has compassion for us. Why? Why does he understand? Why does he have compassion for us? Well, look at the next phrase. Because he knows how we're formed. He remembers that we are but dust. The, the, the life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower from the field. We're like we're, we're like dust. Like God knows. God knows us. He knows that we're weak. He He knows that we have broken messes. He, he, he has compassion for us. He knows how we're made. He made us. Hebrews four fifteen says that Jesus. It was our high priest. And it says in Hebrews 4.15, we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But Jesus, because he came, uh, became like us, was made fully man and entered into our world, he now understands. And Jesus doesn't condemn us. Romans says there's no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus doesn't condemn us. He doesn't criticize us. He has compassion for us because Jesus knows what it's like to be in our place. We need to be listened to and understood, and we need to not quickly negate how, we, how others feel. Research has shown that some of the most serious emotional disorders come from having one's emotions misunderstood or dismissed. God doesn't dismiss our emotions or our experiences. Here's what I found. I find that we tend to minimize uh, the seemingly small amounts of pain that we experience on a daily life. The daily trials of life, we we dismiss those things. And we say things like, well, that's just life. You ever say that? We do this to ourselves. We do this to others. Listen, God knows how difficult life is for us. Daily life is difficult for us. God knows that. He knows our history. He knows the intimate details of our lives. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And God still understands. He he validates us. He has compassion for us. So let's do this. What's stressing you out right now in your life? don't you think about that? What's stressing you out right now in your life? Or maybe better, a different way to ask it is, what's weighing on your heart in this, kind of, in this season of life that you're in? You're sitting here this morning, and you're in the middle of October, it's in the fall. You think about what's going on in the circumstances of your life. What's stressing you out? What's weighing on your heart? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a health issue you're facing. Maybe it's a financial stress you're under. Maybe it's something at work. Here's what you do this week. When you start thinking about that stress and it starts weighing heavy on your heart, I want you to practice praying the simple prayer. Father, you understand. Father, you understand why this is a big deal for me. Father, you understand why this stress is discouraging for me. Father, you understand why I'm feeling overwhelmed. You understand how sad or angry this makes me. You understand, Father. Father, you understand how hard this is for me. Father, you understand why this scares me. Father, you understand. When we really begin to believe and say in prayer that God understands, we begin to trust God more. And the same is true in our relationship with others. Understanding how someone feels or thinks or how an experience is for them is a way that builds a bond and a connection with people. And so I think you should do for others what God does for you. And you should say, I understand. That's the next line in your notes. Line number three over on the right side of the column. I understand. When you're going through a difficult time, let me ask you something. So when you're going through a difficult time, which kind of person do you want to open up to? Person A, who says things like, oh, come on, that didn't hurt. Oh, that's not so bad. Oh, you don't have anything to worry about. Just get over it. Or do you want to open up to a person, person B, who says things like, it sounds like it's, sounds like it's very difficult for you. It sounds like that's a real struggle. It sounds like that's a, a real fear of yours. Who do you feel like opening up to and drawing close to? When someone says something that shows that they understand, we're more open to them, aren't we? When someone says uh, something that, uh, that that they, they understand, it, it shows that we, we, we begin to trust them more. We we're allowed to draw close to them. Now, on the other hand, when someone says things that, that, that shows they don't understand, we emotionally and rela- relationally withdraw. We withdraw in our hearts. But a person who says, I understand, be a person, be a person who says, I understand. Let's be people like Jesus who have compassion for people. Do you know the number one emotion that is attributed to Jesus throughout the Gospels, is compassion. Jesus had compassion for people. Be a person who says to those closest to you, hey, I, I understand. Ephesians 4, 2 says it this way. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. And I love this next phrase. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Colossians three thirteen says this. Make allowance for each other's faults. There's that phrase again. Make allowance. Give people space to to mess up. Give people space to have faults and brokenness and weakness and sin. Give people space and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. See, that's the pattern of relating. I hope you see that. As God relates to us, that's how we're called to relate to others. If you want to have a close relationship with someone, make room for their faults. Allow people closest to you to be human, to be sinful and broken. All of us want to know that we are understood and accepted in spite of our faults, right? We all know we have weaknesses. We all know that we're immature at times and we do things we shouldn't do. But when we give someone the space to be weak and to be immature and to have faults, what we do is we provide a safe place for them to open up and to draw near to you. Now you're on your way to developing a close, intimate relationship with someone. Cynthia Held, author Cynthia Held in her book, Intimacy with God, writes this. This is true intimacy. Being confident that what we reveal about ourselves, what we open up and share with people, will be understood and that the person whom we disclose ourselves to will accept us, will still seek our good and communicate love and support to us. We need to seek to understand and to show compassion for the weakness and immaturity in others. And especially in our children. And so if you're a parent of a young child, I want you to to pay attention for a second. I want to speak specifically to parents of young children. Oftentimes, when our children don't get their way, they'll get upset. And we'll often try to explain to them why they need to stop being upset. Why they need to stop being angry. Or worse, we call them things like spoiled. Or we yell at them. Or we get frustrated and angry with them and we tell them to stop it. Listen, that is not how God relates to us. That is not how God treats us in our weakness. And God doesn't treat us that like that, and we shouldn't treat our children like that. We should parent and relate to our children the way God parents and relates to us. And so, parents, I, if you have young children, uh, I want to, you to be very careful not to dismiss your children's emotions, Now, I'm not talking about the uh, hungry, tired, I'm going to melt down emotions, right? We're all familiar with that. Like, just get them something to eat and get them in bed, right? Okay, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about their genuine emotions. Parents, when you dismiss your child's genuine emotions, what you are communicating to them is that you don't care about taking the time and effort to understand what life is like in their little world. And when you do that, Or maybe better said, when you do that over and over and over again, they will eventually stop opening up their hearts to you and you'll lose their heart. And you'll lose an opportunity to have a close intimate relationship with them. So be intentional, parents, about using the phrase, I understand. Or another way I've said this to, I've been practicing with my children. And this is an area of weakness of mine, but I see it specifically in dads, and other dads around me. And so this is a passion of mine. And, and so I try this phrase. I've been trying to, I use this phrase, help me to understand. Help me to understand. I've been using that phrase, I'm wearing that, I'm wearing that phrase out in my home. For example, let me give you an example. My five-year-old daughter wants to watch a show on the computer or something. And I say, no, not right now, for whatever reason. Let's say she gets upset. And she starts to throw a fit. And I'll say to her, honey, I see that you're upset. Help me understand why you're upset. I know why she's upset, but I'm trying to enter into her world. She responds, well, because you don't let me watch a show. I say, okay, I can understand why that upsets you. I know what that's like, honey. When I want to do something, but I can't, it's really hard and it makes me upset too. We throw fits as adults all the time when we don't get our way, don't we? Our children do the same thing. Now, it doesn't mean that in that moment I'm going to let her watch the show. But instead of dismissing her feelings and emotions, I've now connected with her at the heart level by having compassion with her, by seeking to understand what it's like to be in her little five-year-old shoes. And I'm telling you, I'm seeing it happen. She trusts me. She trusts her dad because her dad's willing to enter into her world. And and I'm watching them now practice it with others. And I see, I know what that's like. They're starting to use the phrase, well, I know what that's like because they hear their dad saying that to them. Hey, listen, I know what that's like. So parents, be intentional about telling your children, "Hey, I understand. Help me to understand. Let me enter into your little world." Now let's recap. Okay, the conversation, the five sentence conversation. So far, in our prayer to God, we should, we should the conversation looks like this: You see me, you hear me, you understand. Now, conversation with others: I see you, I hear you, I understand. The fourth sentence we can pray back over the left side of the column is this: You're glad to be with me. You're glad to be with me. God is glad to be with you. God delights in you in spite of your weakness and your failures and your sins. God enjoys you. The book that taught me this five-sentence method, that teaches this five-sentence method, talks about the brain science behind these five sentences. It's actually a neurologic, it's based out of scripture. This guy's a Christian uh, author, but he's also a a, a neurologist, kind of a scientist. He knows how the brain, studies the brain, I don't know what that's called. He studies the brain, and that's what he does. And uh, he has identified these levels that our brain has to go through in order to draw close to people. And it's represented in these five statements. But one of the things he says is that in order to have closeness with someone, you must experience them enjoying you. That our brains are meant to run on relation, kind of a, a tracks, train tracks, of, and they're like relational circuits. And the only thing that makes uh, us draw close to people is when we're standing in front of someone and we can tell that they are sincerely enjoying being with us. So one of the ways I do, one of the things I do when I come home with my children is I want to make sure that when dad comes home, they see dad is excited to be there, is excited to be with them and enjoy them. i just practicing, but we don't you love it when you see someone. And you haven't seen him a while. And you can tell they are thoroughly enjoyed to see you. How does that make you feel? It makes you feel loved. It makes you feel accepted. And you're like, this is the kind of people I want to be close to. This is my friend, Kurt, back in Louisville. Every time I see him, he gets so excited. Hey, Kevin, how are you doing? He gets so excited to see me. I love him. I don't go see him all the time. He makes me feel great. God delights in you. God enjoys you. Psalm one forty seven eleven says this. The Lord delights in those who fear him. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. The Lord delights in you. Now, what's that mean? It means that you and I are cherished children of God. And that's what children want. Children want to be cherished by their parents. One author and researcher wrote that in a child's first two years of life, the desire to experience joy and loving relationships is the most powerful force in life, according to this author. In fact, the author goes on to say some neurologists now say that the basic human need is to be the sparkle in someone's eye. Don't we want that? I think that's true also of our relationship with God. So the next time you mess up or the next time you make a mistake, or the next time you're feeling like a failure, I want you to try to practice this simple prayer. Father, you're still glad to be with me. You're still glad to be with me. You still enjoy me. You still delight in me, even though I've, I've messed up, even though I've fallen short. You still enjoy me. You're glad to be with me. You're glad to be with me in my broken mess. You don't condemn me. You don't withdraw from me. You're glad to be with me. You're glad to be with me, even in the midst of my frustration, or my pain, or my sadness. Whatever I'm going through, dear Lord, I trust that you're glad to be with me. Start working that sentence into your prayer life. And then let's do for others what God has done for us. Let's communicate to those closest to us, I'm glad to be with you. That's number four on the right side. I'm glad to be with you. Even when people close to you mess up or disappoint you, we need to reassure them that we are still glad to be with them. When we get the sense that people are still glad to be with us and they still enjoy us, then it gives us the freedom to seek their help. God doesn't condemn us for our faults. We shouldn't condemn our others for their faults. So we should make allowance, as uh, the the Ephesians and Colossians passage said, make allowance for people's faults and still communicate to them that I'm glad to be with you. I may disagree with you on this issue. We may be having a conflict over this issue. And I may disagree with you and I'm going to try to persuade you that you're wrong and I'm right. But despite of the issue above and beyond that, I'm going to prioritize my relationship with you over this issue because I'm glad to be with you. I love you. I delight in you. I enjoy you. Okay, lastly, number five, over on the prayer side, you want to help me. You want to help me. Number five on the left side of the column. You want to help me. God wants to help us. He doesn't want to leave us hanging out to dry. He wants to be actively involved in helping us through our life. Psalm 121 says this, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. And where does my help come from? Where does our help come from? Where are we going to get help for our lives? Our help comes from the Lord, verse 2 says. He's the maker of heaven and earth. Hebrews 4, 16 says this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I love this because it talks all about intimacy and drawing close. Look at it. Let us then approach God's throne. Let's draw close to God. Why? Because of God's grace. We can move forward with confidence that in spite of our faults, in spite of our weaknesses, that we can move close to him. He still enjoys us and delights in us and that we can receive the help, the mercy and the grace, the help that we need. This is this is this is who God is. So start saying, Father, you want to help me. I know you want to help me through this circumstance, through this situation. I know you want to help me through this stress. I know you want to help me. And if you know someone if you know someone that sincerely wants to help you, doesn't it, doesn't it create this trust and this willingness to open up and draw near to them? And again, the pattern continues. The fifth and the final sentence that we can say in conversation to draw close to other people in our life is to simply say, I want to help you. I want to help you. That's number five on the right side of the column. I want to help you. I just think about this with me? God sees you. He's paying attention to you. He hears you. He's listening to you he understands what it's like to, to be you, that Jesus became, it was, became flesh, became like one of us, fully human, and now he's able to empathize with us in our weaknesses, that he can understand, that he has compassion for you. He understands and that he's glad to be with you. He's, he, 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 he enjoys you. He delights in you and that he wants to help you. Isn't that the kind of God you want to draw close to? Isn't that the kind of God you want to have an intimate relationship with? Doesn't that sound like the kind of God that wants an intimate relationship with us? Or how about this? How about a person who says to you, hey, listen, I want you to know I see you. I want you to know I'm paying attention to you. I see you. I see what's going on in your life. And I hear you. I'm listening to you. I'm listening to, to your heart, to your concerns. And I want you to know I understand. I understand. Boy, I have compassion. I understand what it must be like to be in your shoes right now. I can relate to that. And hey, you want, I want you to know I don't condemn you. I don't criticize you. Uh, I'm still glad to be with you. I, I, I'm, I'm here with you. I enjoy you. I delight in you. And I, I want to help you. What can I do to help you? Don't you want to be close to people like that? Let's be a people who allow God to develop the quality of intimacy in us. Put this into practice. Take this simple five-sentence conversation, this five-sentence prayer, and start putting it in practice. I think you'll find it will help you draw close to God and close to people. Now here's what we're going to do. We're going to end today. Spend the last couple minutes, we're going to practice it. See, oftentimes we give you what to do and you just go do it. We just, we don't know if you go do it or not. But today, we're going to practice it. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes and Ryan's going to keep playing some music. It's just going to take just a couple minutes. It's not going to take long. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to bow your head. I'm going to lead you through the left side of that conversation, the left side of that column, this prayer I want you to practice this prayer right now with your Heavenly Father, okay? And here's how we're want to do this. I want you to think about that thing that's stressing you out in life. We all have something, something that's weighing on our heart, something of concern to you. What's, what's, what's right now of, of concern to you? You got it? In light of that concern, in light of that situation, in light of those circumstances, in light of that stress, in light of that, that that's weighing on your heart, I'm going to guide you through praying to your Heavenly Father about that that, okay? I want you to start with simply this. You see me. Take a minute and tell the Lord, Lord, I trust that you see me. You see what's going on. You see the circumstances. You see the challenge I'm facing here. Father, Father, you see me. So I want you to simply pray, Father, I know you hear me. If you haven't prayed to the Lord about this specific situation or this concern, voice your concern to him. Tell him what your prayers are. Describe to him what you want him to do. Describe to him how you're thinking and how you're feeling about this situation. Just describe your thoughts and feelings about this, the circumstance, the situation that you're facing, this challenge, this, this thing that's weighing on your heart. And then say to him, Father, I trust that you hear me. Father, you understand. Say, Father, I I trust that you understand, Father. I trust that you understand what I'm going through. I trust that you have compassion for me, that you care about me, that you you want to take care of me, and that you, you care about my situation. Father, just declare. Say, Father, I trust that you understand. next just simply pray father i trust you're glad to be with me i trust that you enjoy me i trust that you delight in me regardless of whatever the situation that you're facing the circumstances just declare just tell the lord lord i just trust and i believe that you're glad to be with me that you enjoy me shepherd takes good care of his sheep, like a father takes good care of his children, that father, you want to help me. You want to help me. You want to help me. You want to give me the strength I need. You want to give me the wisdom I need. You want to show me the next steps. You want to bring transformation in my life. You want to help me, father. Father, I am so thankful for John 3.16 that you loved us so much that you sent your one and only Son, that who should ever believe, ever put our faith and our trust in you, ever follow you, that you want us to have eternal life. You want us to have a close, intimate relationship with you, God. And that's difficult, Lord, it's, it's difficult, it's hard. So would you help us, God? I pray that you would take this simple little tool, this little five-sentence prayer and help us to grow closer to you, God. Help us to, as a church family, help us to practice that this week and just put it in practice, some of these, some of these simple phrases, Lord. And, and as we do, Lord, I pray that you would meet us there and that you would draw us closer to you. And, and God, we wanna be, we wanna have close, intimate relationships, loving relationships with the people in our lives, God. Would you help us to draw close to people? Would you help us to put this into practice? as husbands, as wives, as friends, as parents, as moms, as dads, as co-workers, people we're discipling. Lord, help us to draw close to people, tell people, hey, I see you, I hear you, I I understand them. I want to help you. Lord, help us to be a church family that grows in intimacy. We want to bear much fruit in this area, so much fruit that it brings you glory, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.